This is a new podcast series called Clarity Generates Confidence. Welcome to this episode of Clarity Generates Confidence. Again, we're in season two going forward in 2021. And I'm truly delighted to have Angelo Lyle with us. Angelo is the Vice President of Business Development with the Canada Rubber Group. Canada Rubber Group is a long, long time customer of mine. In fact, I'm feeling a little bit old at the fact I think I've now survived three presidents of Canada Rubber and they're on the third and thinking about what the fourth is and I'm still here. So delighted that, that Angelo is with us, Canada Rubber very near and dear to my heart as Clem Foley, who helped me get into this business and knew my tire recycling business a long time ago. So I'm so fortunate to have such great friends. So Angelo, thanks very much for being with us this afternoon. Thanks for having me, Gary. Excited to talk to you today. You've been around Canada Rubber for quite a while, only formally on for the last couple of years now. Is that, am I correct with that, Angelo? Yeah, exactly. So prior to that, I had been working as an outside supplier to Canada Rubber, helping with some different strategic things and uh, creating a position in the marketplace with them and with the ownership at the time. We built a re- very close relationship and kind of culminated with um, some different succession planning that involved my joining the team. And now I've been here just under two years and we're still full steam ahead. So it's, it's been a, a really nice change uh, with some familiar faces to be able to grow with. So it's been a great opportunity, I think, for me and for them. And so now we're all one and I think achieving new heights together, which is really good. Well, I- I'm going to say that I've always been impressed of how Canada Rubber has managed through its succession and anybody who's listening and would like to understand how they do it. They're very thoughtful, I wouldn't say systematic necessarily, but very clear about how it's going to happen. And and all I can say from a supplier standpoint, just how smoothly all those transitions have happened, not only I think for the ownership and management, but I think also for the employees as well, Angelo. What would you say to that? Yeah, I know that when the ownership group of the time was planning on the succession that that resulted in Maya and another person joining the team, one of the main concerns was for sure the the consistency of the culture, the consistency of the values, how those were going to continue. That was a big part of the direction that the company chose with succession, as well as the people that were selected. And in terms of, I think, the process, I remember, Gary, we were at a GFA And one of the conversations of that GFA, one of the presentations was about how succession planning shouldn't just be something that happens when somebody announces that they're going to exit. It's it's really an activity that you should be doing proactively to say, hey, what are the key positions? How should we be prepared in case we need to have somebody else step into that? What would we do? And it's it's almost like contingency planning just for our human resources. And I think Ken and Rubber takes that approach to it, a conscientious approach to a lot of things. And and that's how you see it come alive in in succession planning. You know, that reminds me, it's somewhat similar to what we did and and my thoughts at at GCP. I'll also express, I, I got to see this back in my days with Imperial Oil, which would be Exxon, Exxon Chemical. And just they had their succession planning were like two, three people deep for all their senior people and who was going to plan from there. And I thought, what a great idea. And I know that now we're in 22 years with GCP, but many years ago, maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I began to look at the three things that we have to do as a company is we have to source, we have to sell, and we have to communicate. Those are the three things and operations that we have to do. And so with that, and you know our team, that George Q heads up the sourcing side and he loves doing it. That's his side. You know, he took that responsibilities off of me and does a far better job. Nathan on the selling side, he again can see the operation in the financial side, but has really stepped into handling the customer relationships. I know he's got that one with you. And then the third one was communications. And again, that requires a special skill. And that went that went off to Craig. And so 
I looked at these are the three guys who we look at as being able to to manage as we go forward, and which has allowed me to to think about what's next, what's coming on in the future, which this podcast becomes part of. So I can certainly appreciate that conscientious and thoughtful approach to it. One of the reasons that we're here today is because I've always appreciated in the, in the couple of years that we've known each other, your thought process and the things. And, and as I said, as we were doing in the, in the preparation for this, is that not many people in our industry, which is really, really practical industry, the gasket industry, if you want to call it, what got you interested? Can you go back in time and say, what got you interested? When did you start to see that this was, this was something that was, I believe just comes naturally to you? In terms of the, the thinking about visioning of the future, I would say that, uh, you know, <laughs> I think it's just about problem analysis. And obviously my career prior to Canada Rubber was about going company to company and helping them to see where they wanted to go and helping them to build roadmaps to getting there. So that was something that I did. And I was able to kind of disconnect my own biases from that because I was doing it for so many other different companies with different goals. And I had to kind of let myself step aside in a lot of cases and and just see the problems and see the pathways and let them unfold. And I think that that trains some neuropaths maybe that let you look at problems, maybe from an aerial view, decompose them into their independent pieces and reconstruct them in ways that will, will get you to some abstract future. I also really appreciate the arts and have grown up with some appreciation and involvement in that. I think that those things come together in a nice way to help you think creatively about problem solving. And, and really, I think that envisioning a different future is just creativity at play in business. And I think creativity finds its way into every part of our lives. And that's how it finds its way into strategic business. That's really fascinating because as you were talking, and we have never had this kind of conversation, but I was sitting back and I got thinking about my own life. And uh, and I've, I've never been an artist in that sense, a musician, and creative, but I've always considered my art to be a business and how to put that together. And as you probably know, I've been coaching entrepreneurs now for 25 years, over 3,000 entrepreneurs and just and, and organizations too, multiple ones, all while I had this business going, GCP. But just like you said, you have to step back and you have to suspend your own, your own self-interests, your own self-biases and say, how do I help the people? that we're in front of. And I, and I really can see that giving that perspective. And I, I appreciate for you bringing that to me because I, I really think that's been something that's helped form my cultivated, my interest in this. And that's probably where we find a little bit of common ground that you were talking about earlier. Yeah, absolutely. Let's come back to this and say, what surprised you? We're now here, we're recording this in June of 2021. We've now been 15 or so months in respect to the impact of COVID. Canada Rubber has had to stay working pretty well all that time. You pivoted and meeting PPEs and things. So what surprised you the most for you personally in the working world as, as going through COVID now that we have a chance to reflect on it? A surprising turn in my own role would be the focus going from, I mean, it was a moment, of course, where we had to very urgently find a solution. But all the while, there is even a greater need to keep other people emotionally in a healthy place and all aligned. And so I found that a big part of what I was doing and focusing on here was just trying to be really sensitive to where everybody else's mind was at cognizant of the fact that I don't know how this is affecting other people in their family, what other kinds of concerns they have from a occupational or a health perspective in their families and trying to just be a, create a place here where we were in operation throughout. And as much as that poses a risk in its own right uh, during a pandemic, it also was an opportunity, I think, for people to keep a sense of community, to take their mind off of other problems 
and we try to just keep it that that type of a safe place. So I, I didn't expect that that would impact my role in in that kind of emotional caretaking sort of a way, but uh, the the moment called for it, and and so I found myself doing more of that than than prior, while still balancing the business needs uh, at the same time. From a, a bigger perspective on a, an ind- industry wide or a business wide one. We had a lot of good-natured people collaborate with us and, and help us. And I don't think we would have gotten through COVID the same way. Not I don't think. I know we wouldn't have gotten through COVID the same way without the advice and direction and guidance of some industry peers and some other local organizations who really helped us. You know, We knew what we wanted to navigate towards to some extent, but navigating there uh, took a lot of help and uh, people stepping up and wanting the best for each other. Not that it necessarily is a surprise. You hope for it, but it, it really was unearthed in a positive light. It was good to see that. Yeah. That's great. That's really fascinating because I think the two things that you pointed out, do you think that those emotional needs and the work to do will stop now as of COVID or do you think that will still continue? I think that companies in general are going to have to be better at this. I think that as much as people like to point at younger generations as, as having a different type of work ethic, I think more humans have always been a, a group that if we can get people to the point where they can focus on self-actualizing and then help them thrive there, then that's the goal. That's been the goal forever and it still will be the goal today. And so generations aren't so different from each other. And the question will become, what's the way to get the newest generation of people in the workforce to feel engaged and feel connected emotionally to the business and to want to give them a place to self-actualize while they're at work, which is maybe more a priority than the past. And so for that reason, I think that shift is not just a COVID shift, although I think COVID served as a good lesson in getting us over a hump so that we can have more momentum in that direction. Our previous guest, his podcast actually brought this up and that they feel the power, if I call it that way, has shifted from the employees needed to be dependent upon the employer to the employer being dependent upon the employees. And more so that there's more that we need to do, me being in the same position as an employer, need to do to keep our workforce engaged, regardless of the age. So we need to be more engaged, I think, Angelo, and to be more cognizant that there's that there's potentially greater mobility. As you know, GCP's basically been able to operate virtually for the last 15 months. We don't, we won't necessarily all come back to the office. In fact, I've told them they don't have to, but I, I feel a sense of commitment to everybody that I didn't necessarily feel the same way before. Yeah. I mean, I know that when you look at the difference between influence and authority, authority might come through a position or a title on an org chart position, that sort of thing. But influence, I think, is a result of people trusting that when you make a decision, it will be with their best interest at heart. And technology tests that a little bit. Do you trust these people to do what they say? And do you treat them like adults? And do you give them autonomy and, and some freedom? I mean, that's all. it's all connected. So I, I think that, for me, that's what it's all about. I think that attitude you just expressed in, in, in answering and articulating that question was really all about a nature of collaboration, is that you're willing to allow others to come into it, not dictating, and I know that's not you, not, but telling people everything to do. But that probably made a difference to other people also willing to support you, because I suspect you were willing to support them as well throughout this COVID period. Yeah, again, uh, maybe it happened a little bit by default since I'd only been with Canada Rubber internally for maybe six months by the time, or maybe a little longer than six months by the time COVID really hit. I mean, I came into to the company 
being being very aware of the fact that there's a lot that I don't know, and that's still true today. I don't know if that'll ever not be true, but 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 feeling that way, you really do realize how much you rely on on other people and their expertise to pull it all together. And so, I try to provide tools where they're needed and support where it's needed and connect people and and acknowledge the type of intellectual skills and talents that each person has and and see if I can give them opportunities to just thrive in those areas. So it, it certainly is not a task driven or a like a militant style directional thing. Cause we have a lot of people here who, you know, if, if somebody's training, they might need more of that directional type of advice. They need direction. They need somebody to say exactly what needs to be done. But when we're talking about people who are good at what they do, who are experienced and who know, know their job, they need the support. They need somebody to answer their questions or provide them the systems to thrive in because they already know what to do. So Angela, I'm going to say that your awareness of people and allowing them to do that is not default. <laughs> That's a, that's a really particular skill for you. And uh, you may think it as a default, but that's a default for you, but that's not a normal default. So I just want you to appreciate what you you bring to it. And your knowledge that you don't know everything and, and acknowledgement of that is huge. I think that's really important. Well, I say the same humility in your company too. So, I mean, I don't know every person intimately well, but they, the tone that I get from your entire staff shows me that they all have that same, they share that same humility in the culture that everybody knows that while they could be really great at what they do, they can't do everything and they have to trust each other to know what each other can do well. And, and the whole thing depends on that. And I get that same feeling every time I'm on a call or I'm, I'm even reading a, a detailed email from anyone in your team. So I think maybe those are things that uh, we have in common and that our cultures and people here have in common. Yeah, a- absolutely. I, there's there's always been a great meshing of that. I've always had three simple rules, and I say they're unwritten, but I should really write them down at one point. And in our place, we have the double doors. In the northern part, you do, so two doors. And, and, and there's a little uh, coat rack there, and I call that the ego cupboard. But everybody's got to check their ego at the door before they come in. They can pick, including me, and they can pick it up at five o'clock whenever they leave and take it on the way out. So one thing, check your ego at the door. The second thing is you have to be all in. Don't come here for a job. If you're just coming here for a job, go find someplace else to work because everybody else here is all in emotionally, physically, everything, you know, mentally, they're all in. And the third one is, is that disagreements are acceptable, but conflict is not. So we don't leave at the end of the day with a conflict. We resolve it. We have, we can disagree with each other. So it's an openness. And I really found that when I explain that to the people that start and I, and I, you know, I, I keep repeating it. So I remember it. I just, I think that, I think that helps just say, yeah, I, I don't know it all. I'm not going to know it all. Everybody's got to work and help each other out. We got a young guy, just a mechanical engineering student finishing up his degree at the University of Toronto has come and joined us and it all happened pretty quickly. And he said, God, I'm amazed what you guys can do as a small team of people. Like we can put 16 people up on the screen and we're all there. And he goes, he says, this is the first time he's ever been in that type of scenario. So it's really refreshing to see how other people view, just as you have from the outside, how you operate. But uh, I want to say congratulations to how you, what, what attitudes you've brought to Canada Rubber, because we feel the same about all of you as well. So thank you for that. So I want to bring it back a little bit more on the practical side here. Because you deal both in Canada and the United States, what did you see of their behaviors? Was there any difference between how the Canadians reacted versus Americans reacted? Was there any different attitudes? Did you see anything throughout this last 15 months that you can pull some trends out of or draw some conclusions out of, Angela? Sure, yeah. I mean, mildly, I think that right from the beginning, there was definitely a sense of, and I'm not talking about politically or anything like that, but I'm talking about just there was a sense of urgency. And and I can explain that by kind of saying, you know, even when we got into PPE, we probably had a month head start where we were selling it into the United States before Canada was even purchasing on a government level. 
And so there was a little bit of, it was a little faster, but I think that that kind of want for speed has characterized the American approach a little bit, even through to the end uh, here, where there's maybe a little bit more urgency to kind of say, oh, we're at this step, let's open it back up. And, and I know that there's people in, in Canada who feel that way, and I know there's people in the United States who don't feel that way, and so it's not a, it's not a one-size-fits-all uh, claim I'm trying to make, uh, I understand. I would say uh, in Canada, I've seen a little bit more of a, let's just take it a little slower and be a little more cautious. And there's been a, maybe a bit of an economic penalty for that as well. But that's been the major difference. Although I would say, if, you know, from a, just speaking to customers and that sort of thing, I mean, our, our customers in the States were still really understanding and everyone was still, uh, there wasn't a difference in terms of the level of patience with one another and that sort of thing. It was more just, I think, a general sense of urgency to prioritize speed or to prioritize uh, first do no harm kind of a, an approach. And have you seen the the uptick in, in business that we're beginning to experience all over? Have you seen that happen? Has there been any unequalness between your Canadian and American customers? We've seen business recover pretty strong across the board for us, across industries and across geographies. So it's been it's been strong across the board. I wouldn't say there's been a particular area that's been lagging or or excelling compared to another. We don't see that either. We I, I think that there's pretty it's borderless, I was gonna say seamless, but it's actually borderless, you know, in terms of how our industry operates because we're so interconnected at the industrial level that I, I would agree with you there. You know, actually, Nathan mentioned this a while back. He said, you know, that, that he thought recovery would happen kind of quickly because he thought inventories had been depleted at the uh, onset of, of COVID. And we did see that, that I think maybe orders started coming in a little bit to, to handle new business, but also to recover inventory that maybe they were low on. It, it's hard to get that visibility into every customer, of course, but it feels as though there was a bit of an uptick in excess of what you'd expect from just standard demand for the period. We've seen that. We would see that the uptick was there. The other thing that was, is kind of fascinating to me, and I hadn't really put my finger on it until I was on a a webinar presentation yesterday with a few very senior people, one of them from the WHO organization. And uh, they basically talked about their recovery being tied to vaccines and vaccine distribution and supply. And so, you know, that it was sort of, you know, your, your region, Ontario is doing well, but was sort of the question. And so we're beginning to see that North America, we may be recovering really quickly and business will recover really quickly because of the, the rate of vaccines. We talked about that for the U.S. And, and Canada. But other parts of the world may not see that or won't see that because they're not going to have the same level of vaccination that's going to allow them the, the mobility and the, the freedom to be able to get back and do the, the business and, and travel or social activities that they would once do. I must admit, I hadn't really put those pieces together. So we're I think we're seeing a bubble here in, in North America, which will thankfully are part of, but we're not necessarily out of the woods when it comes to a more worldwide situation. We can't, haven't settled yet and decided to take our antennae and, and, and stop sensing things. I, uh, we're still, you know, trying to be prepared for things to not be super stable in the, in the coming uh, months. Although we hope, we hope that they are, but uh, we're not taking that for granted right now. We're not making an assumption about uh, the stability at this point. Yeah. And I think that's, I think that's very smart because there's certainly a lot of disruption that's going on. And maybe I'll, I'll ask you that question. I know from us, we're having challenges, not only with costs and materials, freight being the biggest one, and, and, and shipping delays. Are you seeing that throughout your, your supply network? Or are we, just, are we just the ones that are being the bad actors in your world? <laughs> um, yeah, no, we're seeing from packaging freight and materials, we're definitely seeing uh, increases, you know, depending on the material. Certain ones are high, certain ones are, are uh, negligible. Uh, but freight obviously backed up. It's hard to get 
hard to get uh, space at ports and containers costs have gone up and, and packaging costs have gone up. So yeah, I, see, I think generally we're seeing uh, costs costs of manufacturing as a whole going up and I'm not sure what time that'll take to make its way to consumers. But when I read articles that inflation may happen for consumers and when it does, it may be a couple of percent. I think that might be an underestimation. I totally agree. In fact, I because of where we're at at this end, as we know that uh, with the challenges that are out there, I mean, Christmas, I, I, I would sort of my expect Christmas still comes from China and, or comes from the Far East. And so when you think of the delays that are now occurring up to a couple of months happening, that companies now need to plan earlier to get product in. So instead of the rush being, and, and retail stores are open in throughout the US, they'll be opening up here in Canada. People are going to have money because they haven't spent money. They're going to want to feel good. My personal feeling is, is that from a shipping perspective, it's going to begin in July, latest August, and that's going to, you know, worsen the situation. And I agree. I think, I think by Christmas time, you're going to see those costs hit the consumer because the consumer products will be hitting the shelves. And anytime after U.S. Thanksgiving or maybe even coming into U.S. Thanksgiving is going to be a time that I think we're going to see the changes. And I, I just, my rational brain says, I don't know why it won't happen by then, but. Yeah, yeah. I think barring any extraordinary circumstances, I mean, I'm, I'm making the assumption that the disruption and delays in supplies side from ports and from container costs and all that sort of thing, I almost think there's no sense in almost refreshing my opinion until after the Chinese New Year 2022. It's going to be at least until that. Right, right around the Chinese New Year, shortly after that, there's supposed to be the Beijing Winter Olympics. Uh, so we've, we've, we've got the Tokyo Olympics coming on, which is going to be an international one. We've got the Beijing Olympics, you know, within eight months of that. But we've got a lot that's happening in this world that's still not as stable as it was uh, two years ago. So we'll, we'll have lots to watch. I think so, yeah. So I think, I think what I'm hearing and, and certainly what we're doing and what I'm, what I'm hearing from others is, you know, just keep keep doing that tight look at the cash flow forecast. Keep keep making sure you can operate under a stress test scenario for now, and uh, just be cognizant of of the fact that things could still have a little bit of volatility until we find whatever that new equilibrium is. And, and defining a new normal, I'm not exactly sure what that'll look like, but just be uh, just be ready to be scalable for that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, Angelo, I want to take the, the last few minutes that we normally take, because you and I have always shared some thoughts about technology and changes in innovation. And, you know, I've always appreciated about you what you've done. So, you know, the question I had is, what do you see coming along? What are you working on that you can integrate into your communications or work processes to stay ahead of the curve? I know that's important for you. Obviously, COVID's fast forward a lot of companies and gotten them at least mostly over the hump of intimidation when it comes to some basic technologies. I think that it's very hard to predict the balance of in-person versus remote communication that customers will want to draw. Uh, but I'm not sure it'll be uniform and I'm not sure company to company that you'll just be able to have a one size fits all for us. I think rather than trying to predict the future, we're trying to be, we're trying to have the capacity to cater to the balance that the customers are looking for. Uh, and be flexible to that. We've always been a company who believes in flexibility. So I think that's really important is a company who wants us in person, we can make that happen. A company who wants to use the technologies, we have to be ready with the infrastructure to support that. So we've done some things, you know, digital transformation plan is something like, you know, that's a phrase we didn't really know a couple of years back, but it's something that we we know now. And I think that digital planning will be a part of strategic and change planning uh, going forward for Canada Rubber, but also I think just for companies who are proactive. I think there's no, there's going to be no such thing as a change plan that doesn't incorporate digital elements. I think they have to be considered. 
Uh, and often they're considered as a separate thing. Even the fact that a company would have a digital plan separate and distinct from their plan shows that we're a little bit adolescent in our thinking about, about digital and even Canada rubbers in that, in that stage, you got to start somewhere. But I think in the long run, it all becomes integrated. I read some time back in the summer a year ago about thinking digitally first. And that really, that those, you know, thinking digitally first was, was a really, those three words really made an impression upon me. And I said, okay, if we're thinking digitally first, don't think about paperwork. Don't think about how we're going to communicate. And I, cause I completely agree with you. Some people are going to want in person. I think for me, my career, cause I've been around, you know, 40 years or so in the world, I think my career is extended because of being able to be in a, in a zoom type format, being able to do these, the podcasts, I've been able to do them with, with Siddharth Peters from Dubai. And, uh, I've got next week, I got two of our, our, you know, suppliers, great friends of mine from China. And so I can do those things. I don't have to be anywhere. We're thinking of having, you know, meetings to talk about the thinking that we have, what's coming up, what's the forecasting. You see some of the notes that are coming out from us recently. We're changing the, the thought process. I, I'd love to have those meetings, but to get everybody together and try and do it all is a, one costly and logistics nightmare. We can do it on Zoom and we can set it up much faster and get people for 45 minutes. You know, we don't even need to take an hour. And I kind of go, you know what? I think there's a real legs to some of this. And uh, I agree, but I do agree with you. You want to be flexible. You want to be adaptable. But I, I really like some of the thinking and some of the things that are coming out now that with on the, on the digital first side, if I call it. Yeah, and I mean, if these kind of tools can let us, like you just said, uh, collaborate more effectively, then those companies who are interested in collaboration are going to be the ones who take the benefit. Those ones who don't collaborate with others anyhow, maybe they're not going to use these advantages and, and maybe there will be an even bigger gap. And so I, I, always, I always have the belief that no matter how fancy everything looks and no matter how many different shapes our, our innovations take, that the world is just people and ideas. And it's never going to be anything other than that. And I think that if we can use technology to, to get people and sharing their ideas and, and coming together, then I think there's going to be a lot of power in that going forward. The other thing I would say about digital from the, from the customer perspective is that I do feel that just more than ever that COVID even brought people who were lagging in their internet purchasing behaviors into internet purchasing more. And that I think that buyer behaviors are shaped more by the consumer online buying experience than they were in the past. And so it's going to be a challenge for companies of all kinds to learn how to sell to people who've been conditioned by a consumer experience online a little bit differently. And there's some real learning, I think, for our industry to do to find our balance between doing what we need to be able to do and as specific and custom as it might be with the conveniences and the experience that the, the digital consumer buying experience has trained people to expect. I agree with that. And I think it's not going to lessen. It's actually going to require us to do more because we expect more. We expect more as a consumer. We want to have the technologies getting better there's going to be points where we will all be able to have a 3D, like an Oculus headset. And so what do we expect to have on that? You know, we find that even running our own team meetings, the cost of that meeting isn't, and the demand to run it isn't less because we're, we're managing people, our accountants now over in Germany, that's where she's living and moved to. So we have people right from Germany to the West Coast, uh, US and Canada and down to Mexico. And so we can operate the company this way because of the digital one, but it hasn't, it's actually it's, it's pushing us to be better, Angelo. I think that's totally the way that it is. I, I completely agree. And I, and I think the shift was going this way before COVID. I think people like to point at COVID as this tipping point, but there was a trend towards this before. It's just, it's been indefinitely accelerated and it's kind of given those people who would have sat back 
it hasn't really given them the option to do that too much. So I think it's been more on mass all at once than it would have otherwise been. But I, I think this trend was already on its way. I completely agree that, that COVID just accelerated trends. Either trends, things are going down or things are coming up, whichever way. Totally, totally agree with that. Angel, this has been awesome. I really appreciate you taking the time to be with us today on the podcast. I'm going to take away, I've just written down, the world is just people and ideas and, and, and how we communicate them. So and anything else you'd like to say to the audience before we go here, Angelo? Let me just say something uh, rather than just to the audience. Why don't I have a little thought experiment with you? This will be maybe something that's unique that maybe you haven't had on a podcast or that you haven't had in a conversation. But I think since we're kind of similar people, maybe this will be fun. I have a question for you. Think of the numbers one to 10 in your head. What do you see? Aesthetically, what do you see? Are the numbers one to 10 larger than you? Do they go off into perspective? Are they color? Are they white? Are they on paper? Are they in 3D space? Is there a background? Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm a linear guy in that respect. They're black and white. They're lined up in a line and, and they're all similar sizes. Okay. Now, uh, I promise you that when you ask other people that they'll have different answers. Totally. Why I think that's interesting. Uh, I'll do this sometimes with people and even ask them uh, picture an apple, you know, for me, an apple in my head. Well, let me start with one to 10, one to 10 in my head are different colors. They move away from me into perspective and there's a white background and they're large, maybe not larger than me, but around the same size. And they're kind of at eye level. There are shadows, but these are details. These are details because I've spent a long, a long time thinking about these types of things. Um, I, the other one is uh, think about an apple. And for me, an apple, when I think about it is actually an apple, like the, the fruit and not a drawing of one, but I've spoken to people who see a drawing or an outline or a cartoon of an apple on a piece of paper or in space or whatever. What's interesting about that to me is that everyone has what I, what I refer to as our internal world. And I don't think a lot of people go about discovering this kind of colorful three-dimensional magical space that they have. Uh, and I think that becoming familiar with that world is an enriching experience. It has been for me. Awesome. And I just to answer your question, I see an apple as a color shape, like the fruit. So I do see it that way. <laughs> Angelo, thank you so much. Thanks for being with us today. It's been wonderful to have you. And so to our audience, until next time, stay safe and stay healthy.